When is it not okay to take the law into your own hands? And then we travel to England to meet two friends casually smoking cigarettes on a lonely night. Well, it was lonely until the aliens showed up. And then we take a look at one of the most terrifying spectral encounters on record. What happens when there is a ghost that is so powerful, simply seeing it turns you into a cold-blooded murderer? Today on Dead Rabbit Radio. Hey everyone, welcome back to another episode of Dead Rabbit Radio. I'm your host, Jason Carpenter. I'm having a great day. I hope you guys are having a great day too. we got a ton of stuff to cover, so we're going to get started right away. First off, let's give a shout out to one of our live stream supporters walking into Dead Rabbit Command right now. Get ready to take a taste of Chime Chili. Mm-mm-mm. Yummy, 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 you like tummy. Come here, Chime Chili. Chime, you're going to be our captain, our pilot this episode. If you guys can't support the Patreon, if you guys can't support the show financially, I totally understand. Just help spread the word about the show. That also really, really helps out a lot. Now, Chime, I'm going to start off by giving you the keys to the Jason Jalopy. Catch them in your chili hands, dripping with meats and sauces. We're going to leave behind Dead Rabbit Command. I'm going to grab some cornbread, and we are headed all the way out to Texas. I want to say, you know, on, on Monday's episode, I've been thinking a lot about this. On Monday's episode... It was about, you're like, Jason, play, <laughs> come on, man, the episode's hard enough to listen to, please. I talked about this idiot, this scum piece of filth on this earth called Jeffrey Portway, and he uh, had built this secret base, he's caught, he wasn't able to pull off any of his plans, but he built this secret soundproof dungeon in his house, and he had like castration tools and a child-sized coffin, and he wanted to eat children. He was talking online about eating kids and all that stuff. And he's locked away for only 27 years. He should be locked away until the sun burns out. But anyways, he had a bunch of child porn and and worse stuff. He had worse images than child porn, if you can believe that. But he had them. And I was talking, I was specifically talking, he was afraid of COVID, catching COVID in his cell. And I said things like, we should pump COVID directly into a cell and other stuff. I, I want to clarify those comments. I don't, I'm not apologizing to him at all. I didn't get contacted by his lawyers. I didn't get contacted by YouTube for making comments. Those comments, obviously, you know, it's heightened reality. It's jokes, legally, legally speaking. But I wanted to say this, because I know a lot of people listen to this show. I know this show has a really big audience, and it's a global audience, and it's mostly men. I, I've mentioned this once or twice on the show. I was actually trained to be a sexual assault counselor. I volunteered at a women's shelter. I don't even know if they're still around, but when I was living in Sacramento, I was a volunteer at a women's shelter, and I was trained as a sexual assault counselor. And I because, because I'm a giant, broad-shouldered, hairy man, they said, you will not walk into rooms with women who have been victimized by men. You, I was specifically trained for two groups. Male victims, and there's a lot of them, And male family members, that's what my training was, was to go into these hospital rooms, to go into these police stations, and to calm down fathers and brothers and uncles and friends from going out and just slaughtering the suspects. It was all de-escalation training, and it's interesting, that de-escalation training has helped me throughout my life. Like, it was a really, really good program. I'm glad I had the opportunity to do it. So what I'm talking about, 
I'm talking about pumping COVID into Jeffrey Portway's cell. A joke, legally. I I want to be very, very clear. And it kind of broke my heart. I read this article the other day, and I wanted to share this with you and just go over it briefly. But in this happened really recently. A lot of you guys probably are aware of it. In Texas, this was just happened January 19th, 2022. We're in the city of Far, Texas. There's a guy named Gabriel Quintanilla. He's a 42-year-old man. And he was accused of having sexually assaulted his nine-year-old daughter. And these accusations uh, went around the RV park where everyone was living, and they got to the ears of this young girl's stepbrothers, Gabrielle's stepsons, Christian Trevino, who's 17, and Alexandro Trevino, who's 18. And they, together with their friend, Juan Melendez, beat this, beat this guy to death. They beat Gabrielle Quintanilla to death. And it wasn't a, necessarily a crime of passion legally, although I would not convict these guys if I was on the jury. They beat him up at the RV park. He escaped. They caught up to him at a local apartment complex and beat him up. That's where Juan got into the fight. And two other dudes, two other guys who were just walking through the parking lot. They saw these three guys beating up this dude. Hey, what's going on? Oh, this guy is molested this little girl. And they jumped in and they started beating him. But then those other two dudes left. And Gabrielle left that scene as well. He escaped that fight, and now he's walking down the road, and Juan and Christian and Alexandro catch up to him in a pickup truck, and they jump out of the pickup truck and beat him up more and throw him in the flatbed of the truck, and they drive off. And the next day, he's dead. And I read that, and obviously I understand that... <sighs> you understand doing that, right? But later on in the article, it states that Gabriel was being sought after by the authorities. They knew of these allegations. Charges had been filed. They were going to arrest him and take him into the court system and put him up for trial. And hopefully the jury would do the right thing and this guy would be put away. And instead, he's dead, which that's that, right? Horrible, horrible person. But this young girl, this nine-year-old sister, lost... Two great men, right? Not that's not, not her dad, but Christian and Alexandro. Think about how much they loved her so much. They put their lives on the line and they put their freedom on the line for her. And really, 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 I prefer a world where these two young men are free and they teach that girl what a real man is like. And in a way they did, obviously, she knows that she has people out there who will stick up for her, but all of those other life lessons, you know, going through as she's going through middle school and high school and she's a young woman going into college and all this stuff. This was my job was to talk to fathers and uncles and brothers and friends and being like, she needs you now more than ever. I'm like, I get it. You know who the guy is? Friend of the family, maybe a relative. And I get it. You want to leave this hospital room. You want to go home. You want to get that gun. You want to drive to his house, you want to shoot him, but she needs you now. Imagine if you do that while she's struggling with the trauma that she's gone through, she finds out her dad is arrested. And now not only does she have to go to criminal proceedings for her own case, she has to go to criminal proceedings and watch her father watch the back of her father's head as this judge is talking and the jury's talking and, and she's gone through her trauma, be there with her trauma. Be there. And and so I just wanted to clarify that, right? I wanted to clarify that. I was hoping 
No, and as I was editing Monday's episode, I thought, I mean, I, I do like it, and I stand by the jokes that I was telling, but I was hoping, you know, this is real stuff. Like, at the end of the day, this is real stuff, and I know a lot of young men listen to this show, listen to this podcast. Doesn't look like it on YouTube, but trust me, the, the podcast numbers are, are quite high, and I'm not trying to brag. I'm just saying, I, I feel like... I, I feel like I had a responsibility to do that because if someone was going through this and me as a friend talking about this, joking around in this, if that would embolden someone to go, I would feel awful because that is your job right now. Or maybe you're hopefully you'll never have this job, but if it might be your job now, it might have been your job in the past or it could be your job in the future is not to go out and be a vigilante and kill these people. It's to be there for the victims. The people that you care, I, I, but trust me, dude, I get it. I get that these guys did it. I wish, honestly, that it had all happened in one blow, because legally, then you could argue it was a crime of passion. It was an accident. When you follow the, when you follow the dude around and then kidnap him. So, anyways, uh, these guys are facing uh, murder and assault charges and all sorts of stuff. Oddly enough, they're not facing kidnapping charges, and I think that's to keep the feds off the case. I think they want to handle this locally, which may be a good sign for these boys. But, yeah, yeah, yeah. So, anyways, I do, I, you know, vigilante justice is, it's, it's the most fun justice. It's very quick. You got to be careful. Otherwise, the vigilantes become the lynch mob, and, and you don't, there, there is a fine line between those two things. The vigilantes become corrupt themselves. But anyway, crazy true crime story if you guys weren't aware of that and i wanted to clarify be there for the victims do not fly off the handle be there for the people you love and show them what a real man is like over the course of years and years and years don't add to the trauma of her this young nine-year-old girl i mean who is there anyone to take care of her now Hopefully she has a lot of good family members in the area. Hopefully the community, there's actually been a um, petition to drop the charges against these boys. This just happened on January 19th. The petition was started shortly after that. 200,000 people have already signed the petition. 200,000 people are already saying just drop the charges. But unfortunately, they most likely will be charged. So again, I just want to say that Jeff Portway's piece of human debris, trash, yeah, whatever. But yeah, I just I just wanted to clarify that if you are currently cleaning your shotgun, you are better on the outside than inside. And I mean, person, I'm not talking about your looks and I'm not talking about your personality inside, although I'm sure that's sparkling as well. Chime Chili, let's go ahead and toss you the hair hang glider. We're going to leave behind Texas. We're going to float all the way out to Hessel, England. The year is 1980, and we're flying to Hessel, England. That's in the county, the state, whatever it's called, the district of Yorkshire. And it's nighttime. It's a nice, breezy night in 1980. And there's this guy, we'll call him Carter, and his friend Mike are in this alleyway smoking cigarettes. <sighs> but anyways, they're standing in this alleyway smoking cigarettes, and about 50 yards down the alley... They see this tall guy kind of walking towards them. They're like, hey, mate, look at that tall dude over there. And Mikey goes, I, governor, <laughs> I, governor, I see him with my peepers. And they're smoking. And then they're thinking this guy's like tall, right? So they're what? Like probably five foot 11. They're probably like me. So this dude is like, <laughs> basically, he could be any height bigger. You see a six foot tall guy. You're like, ah, it's a giant. 
As this guy's walking farther down the alleyway, they start to go, I, he's not just a little tall, me, me friend. <laughs> They've turned into leprechauns at this point. He's not just a little tall. He has to be at least seven feet tall. So the seven foot tall dude is walking down the alley towards them. And then if that's not weird enough, right? Because there's seven foot tall people. I met Minute Bull when I was a little kid. That's why I always bring him up on this podcast. Now you'll realize you're like, dude, he does bring up Minute Bull an awful lot on this podcast. He's the tallest guy I ever met. He was at a grocery store. There's people out there who are seven feet tall. There's people out there who walk down alleyways, right? But then they realize that this guy is a shadow man. Just completely black. Clothes are black. Face is black. Everything is black. Walking down the alleyway. They did not say that he was making that noise. But as he's walking down this alleyway, they're just staring at this dude. And Carter and Mike are watching him. And he's about 10 feet away at this point. I don't even know why they waited for him to get this close. Carter and Mike begin to run the opposite way down the alleyway. Ah, get out of the way, trash. Pushing stuff all over trying to make their escape. But then, Carter feels a tug on his shirt, thinking, oh no, the shadow man got me. But he realizes the hand is Mike's. And Mike grabs his shirt and kind of throws him back, and and Carter's like, you bum! He figures that Mike is trying to get around him so he can run faster. But still, it's kind of a messed up thing to do. But what he realizes very quickly that Mike is not running in front of him so he can outrun Carter. He's running in front of him to stop Carter from getting away. Carter has to push Mike to one side and continuing to try to get down this alleyway. And once again, Mike is pushing himself in front of Carter and trying to block the exit out of the alleyway. Carter's like, what are you doing? What are you doing? And there's like this struggle. Carter keeps moving past him and Mike keeps jumping in front of him. And the whole time, this giant shadow is continuing to walk towards them. Eventually, they get out of the alleyway. (sighs) Oh, me lungs, me lungs hurt. And they look down the alleyway and the shadow man is gone. Now, Carter has some other business to attend to, mostly... Mike, why were you trying to stop me from getting out of the alleyway? Mike looks at Carter and goes, what? Why are you talking about? Because I was running and you kept jumping in front of me. <laughs> oh, that, that thing. Yeah, that thing where I kept trying to get you out of the, trying to keep you in the alleyway. Oh, yeah, I, I kind of remember that. And he's like, you should remember that. It just happened a couple couple seconds ago. And Mike never, ever, ever could come up with an explanation as to why he was jumping in front of his friend trying to slow Carter down while this shadow creature, this giant menace, was chasing them. The only thing Carter can really think of is that Mike must have been under some sort of mental control at the moment. But that's just a theory. He doesn't know for sure. Mike never explained why he tried blocking the exit to the alleyway. I got that story from thinkaboutitdocs.com. They got it from, it's a defunct website now, but it was called wirenot.net, and that was on the X board of Wire. There's a lot of X boards out there. This was on a defunct website called wirenot.net. Really, really creepy story because it shows that, you know, you always go ghost hunting in groups. Not all the time. I've gone ghost hunting by myself. But 
Usually you go in groups, safety in numbers, right? That's kind of the logic. Plus, you know you're out having fun, you're impressing some girls and things like that. You're just, you know, looking for something to do on a Saturday night. Let's go throw beer bottles into a graveyard. Maybe a ghost will show up. Safety in numbers, right? This story turns that on its head. I mean, what the creature was, we don't know. Could have been a typical shadow man entity. Could have been a demon. Could have been an alien. Because it could have been a whole, whole sort of things, right? It was just appearing as a shadow man. Could have been a djinn. Who knows? But in a normal story, a normal story involving a seven-foot-tall shadow entity, the gang is united, they're, they're all running together to get out of there. This one shows that this creature was able to influence another human to work with him. I mean, he didn't say... Like, it wasn't like... Well, Mike did, Mike did hang out with a lot of shadow people growing up, and he, he is part of that community. No, this guy was alien to both of them, but he was able to control Mike. He was able to make Mike block the exit it's really really creepy story if you think about it because it shows that maybe there's not safety in numbers maybe you're better off alone like alice dj once said my thing is is though when you go ghost hunting alone there's two things you have to there's multitude of things you got to worry about but only one of those is ghosts only one of those is shadow men controlling your friends i know when i went ghost hunting i was more concerned with hobos and wild dogs and falling into creeks or rivers and things like that and then ghosts. I was there to like explore the ghost and to try to examine that stuff. But we always came armed, and we always had. We didn't have a lot of cell phones back then, but you know, we tried to have at least one cell phone. And when I first started ghost hunting, we had no cell phones. But yeah, I mean, you have to worry about more terrestrial dangers, but you also got to worry about the ghosts. But yeah, creepy story because you think how many times you're chilling with your buddies, you think everything's going good. These guys weren't even looking for ghosts. These guys were just smoking cigarettes in an alleyway. Imagine if they did go to some desolate location, some abandoned farmhouse in BFE, Idaho, and this happened, right? There's no alleyway to run out of. You're like running through miles and miles of cornfield as all of your friends are singing ring around the rosy and they're like grabbing your shirt and trying to hold you down. <laughs> Shove corn into your pants as this giant entity is coming towards you. Like maybe the moral of the story is if you're going to go to an abandoned place, do it all alone and maybe not tell anyone because there's a chance that if you tell them where you're going, the ghost will call them up at their houses and say party at the abandoned farmhouse. House, they'll be like oh i love parties and they go out there and then they ring around the rosy you anyway so maybe the moral of the story is don't have friends creepy though i really really creepy story chime chili let's go ahead and toss you the keys of the carpenter copter we're, we're waving goodbye to carter and mike and we see the shadow person singing up behind them we're like oh i'm sure they'll be okay chime chili go ahead and take us out of here we're headed all the way out to Oh, we're headed back to Texas. I think going back, I think we're going to realize that season 17 was the Texas season. I don't know why we're here so much, but we're here a lot. And this story, they've been all really good Texas stories. I mean, the first one of this episode was a downer, but we've been there a lot. and We've gotten a lot of good stuff from it. And this is no exception. Specifically, we're headed to the Los Chisos Mountains in Texas. That's within the Big Bend National Park. So, helicopters flying over the mountain range. And we see all like all these trees and stuff like that. There's an owl looking at us all mean because we woke him up. He's like, oh, I'll get you. We're flying by. And 
Chisos, if it it is pronounced correctly, Chisos is actually a local native tribe's word for ghost or spirit. So the Los Chisos Mountains would be the Ghost Mountains. And it actually lives up to its name. There's a lot of ghost sightings in this area, but we're here for one ghost in particular. 1891 is the year this story takes place and the name of the ghost. Oddly enough. In 1891, there are two cowboys. Dun, 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 Walking through. One guy's like riding his cowboy horse. And that's Henry Powell. And then there's another cowboy. And he's like practicing with his guns. And that's Fine Jillian. Now, these two cowboys, they've lived in this area for a long time. They know each other. But they are starting to have this huge argument. And it's going to get really bad soon. Because there's this bull that keeps grazing near their herds. And every so often, Henry's looking out of the distance. He's like, ah, there's that bull I love so much. But I don't know if it's mine. I don't really recognize it. But maybe I'll just take it. Because that's a strong looking bull. And then Fine's doing the same thing. He's sitting on his ranch drinking some sarsaparilla. And he goes, oh, there's that bull again. It's weird. He's right on the border of my land in that rascal pow, Henry Pow, but I'm sure that's my bull. Even though even though I never bought it, even though I don't know who it belongs to, it's on my land enough, I'm just going to take ownership of it. And they actually start getting in a heated argument over whose bull this is. So Pow goes, you know what, screw this. There's only one way to solve an argument. In 1891, he goes back home and he gets his gun. Now, Powell is a one-armed Civil War veteran. Doesn't, doesn't say what side he was on, just, just so you guys know. He could have been a Southerner. He could have been fighting against the United States. But anyway, so Powell comes back. He has his gun. And he starts shooting at Fine. And Fine, you know, this is 1891. If, you're, if you live in the middle of nowhere, you know how to use a gun. And he has a gun. You have to have a gun, too. He grabs his rifle, and he starts shooting at Henry. And this goes back and forth. The distance is closing between these two guys. They're walking towards each other, and they're shooting at each other. And eventually, Powell's gun, his little revolver, gets jammed. Click, click, click. Well, fine. (laughs) Yes, the day is yours, my friend. I guess you're right. That mighty bull is yours. And fine, a man not to leave business unattended, he walks up to Henry with this rifle, raises it, it's point blank, to Henry's chest, and he pulls the trigger. (laughs) One-armed Civil War veteran with a jammed pistol is now sprawling out in the Texas sand, blood soaking the soil. A large bull chewing the grass, watching the whole thing. Fine, even though he's this businessman, even though he owns all this land, right? He killed a man. He's now a criminal. No matter where his life was before that, he's now a criminal. Texas Rangers go after him, and they catch up to him a week later, and there's a shootout. And Fine is killed by the Texas Rangers in some godforsaken canyon in Big Bend National Park. The bull continued to graze all over this area. It went where it wanted. And even though both people wanted it because it was such a magnificent bull, the two people who were arguing over it died. 
And now, nobody in town wanted it. Like, they're like, free bull, anyone want to get this bull? Because otherwise, it's just this wild bull running around. Who wants it? Nobody in town wanted the bull. None of the relatives of the two deceased people wanted the bull. But what they did... So apparently, I don't know why they just didn't go, okay, we'll just kill the bull. I mean, maybe maybe bulls were super rare back then. Maybe they were like Pokemon. They didn't kill the bull. They branded the bull. They had to put a brand on it to make sure that no, there were no other arguments over this bull. So they branded it with... This is a true story, by the way. This is what's so interesting about this. this there's a lot of historical proof that this story happened. They branded it with a brand that said Murderer... 1891. So that's how this bull became known in the area. It was called Murderer 1891. And they just let it go. So all of that stuff is true. We have those two gentlemen. They killed each other over this bull. The bull was branded Murderer 1891. What happens next is where we start to get into the world of the paranormal, the world of what is true, what is legend. But nonetheless, very, very interesting tale that we're going to be talking about. What happens is, where fine Jillian used to hang out around town, you'd be hanging out in the saloon, shooting back whiskey as some hot showgirl sitting on your lap. You're holding five aces in your hand. <laughs> All the stereotypes in one. I'm a winner. And you would see this bull walk through town. Now, you knew it was the bull, right? Because it had this huge brand on it. Murderer, 1891. It also started to show up where Henry Powell's son was known to frequent. So he'd be sitting there at home, drinking whiskey, showgirl on his lap, six aces in his hand. Look out the window, you'd see Murderer 1891 walk by. It did show up at another local saloon in Alpine, Texas. So even in other towns, you started to see this Murderer 1891. And people started to put something together. People started to figure this out. The guy sitting there shooting back whiskey with the showgirl on his lap with the five aces at our first saloon, he looks out and he sees the bull. Oh, that's weird, right? Um, but I should pay attention to my hand. And all of a sudden, someone goes, Oh, you cheat. I saw you had five aces there. <laughs> and that's my wife. That showgirl's my wife. <laughs> Shootout would happen in the saloon. The place where Henry Powell's son hang out. You'd have a ranch hand sitting there working on something. And this bull would kind of mosey on through the area. And the, and the work hand would kind of look over and go, Oh, that's that, that's that spooky bull I've heard so much about. Turns back and then he sees another ranch hand kind of just standing there. He, Get back to work. What are you doing just standing there? Whoa, dude, I, this is my break. This is my break. No, you get to work. And they'd start fighting. A violent fight would break out on the farm. Get away, boy. Separate, separate. Ah. The saloon in Alpine. The bull would mosey on by. Guy would be sweeping up the dirt. It's a very hard job. Sweeping up the dirt off the ground. And then he sees some drunk walking through town. And he goes, you know what? The drunks, they're just ruining the city. They're making it all super dirty. I'll show him what's what. Drops the broom, goes in, retrieves a sawed-off shotgun, places it against the bum's head. Beg for coins in hell. For 30 years, whenever this bull showed up, homicidal violence ensued. If you saw this creature, it turned you into a cold-blooded killer. 
So you started having all of these just normal people just wig out, blasting dudes, chopping people's heads off. I don't know if they were building saw traps. Someone's trapped in a giant piano. They're like, every time he plays the eighth note, your feet catch on fire. I don't know how inventive they got on it, and I don't know what the eighth note is. But anyways, the point is, is like when you saw this bull, it was going down. Super violent stuff was going to happen. So people are like, well, we better catch this bull, right? We better catch this bull. I mean, who wants to go purposely find something that drives you insane? But otherwise, it's just walking through town. It's making everyone go nuts. So they spent years trying to catch this bull, and they never could. It just kept appearing, kept causing this random mayhem, and it would disappear. Some say, to this day, you can still see Murderer 1891. Walking through the Los Chinos Mountains. This bull, murderer, 1891, still emblazoned on its hide. Walking through the areas that it used to haunt. Literally, right? They say that murderer, 1891, is responsible for up to 200 murders in the Big Bend area over the years. And the question is, is that number accurate? Is it exaggerated? Or does the number keep on growing to this day? You know, it's funny, when I sat down to record this episode today, I was just kind of throwing stories together. You're like, wait, Jason, what? This isn't a professionally produced podcast? You don't have a team of people behind you and everything's not perfectly crafted? No. I know. It's shocking, right? And it's funny, as I was finishing up the second story and I was moving to this one, I go, wait a second, these actually have something in common. And I didn't plan on this, but I like the way that it turned out. Humans being controlled by entities. I mean, one is clearly like a, a, a ghost, and the other one may be a ghost or a shadow man or an alien or a demon or something else, right? The shadow men are kind of their own box, and we don't really know what they are. We've done a lot of episodes on shadow men, and there's tons of theories. <laughs> the bull is just kind of a ghost bull. But then you start to think of, it's funny, this story, obviously it would be a ghost today, but we don't even know where the bull came from in the first place. Maybe it was, maybe it was an alien bull. Maybe it was a djinn. We don't know for sure, but I think the common belief is that it is some sort of ghost, as of now, some sort of ghost bull. But both of these stories are really about the same thing, about losing control. One of them is you're blocking your buddy and maybe hoping he gets attacked by this shadow man, which in retrospect would be kind of funny, right? If you just saw him get like beat up by a shadow man and nothing serious happened, that would be hilarious. But the second one, the second one, people die. Like just seeing this thing turns you into a homicidal maniac. That's creepy. And I talk about it all the time in the show. The fear of losing control, the fear of snapping. And 1891 in Texas, I'm sure, was a really stressful time anyways. But <laughs> add to it a ghost that drives you even more stressed out, drives you insane, drive, turns you into a homicidal maniac. That's even worse. And it's just, it's creepy to think that there are things like this out there. Now, this is not the norm when we look at the world of the paranormal. And this is what I love about these two stories, actually, together, is that normally... The majority of paranormal events are completely... I just see something weird and I can't explain it, whether that it's a UFO in the sky or a ghost floating down the hallway. And then you have a smaller subset of them interacting with us. Alien abductions, poltergeist encounters, and then you have an even smaller, smaller, smaller section where you're looking at affecting us in a way that destroys our lives. Demonic possession and this type of thing. 
It's super rare when we come across stories where the paranormal affects you on a level that you die, right? And there's very, 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 very few stories like this. I'm actually surprised. It seems like they're quite common because I covered two of them on the same episode where people are getting influenced by these entities. But even then, the first one was just the guy kind of being a jerk, kind of like blocking the way. And then this one was, you see this thing, you become a murderer. Creepy. Creepy story, and we don't know what caused it. We don't know if the bull was sent as some sort of curse in the first place. Who knows? But it, whatever it is, whatever its origin story is, it's a curse now. Being a paranormal investigator is very dangerous for a multitude of reasons. One of them is the hobos and the dogs. When you're going ghost hunting, you have to be worried about all this stuff. Maybe there's some drug dealers using this abandoned insane asylum as their hideout. I mean, apparently they're working for the Joker. But you know what I mean? You don't know. You could go walking through the woods trying to find a sacred fairy circle, and they're actually growing weed out there, and you get your hands chopped off by a member of a cartel. Right now, you don't want your ghost hunting story to end that way. So we have those type of dangers then when it comes to the paranormal. But then we also have knowing too much. I talked about that on Monday's episode as well, about how my dad, when he was going to seminary, he was told every year one or two of these young ministers get too into the demonology. And the college actually had a program set up to identify when that was going on. They're all floating down the hallways. They're like, hail, hail the dark one. They're like, uh, you might want to come to my office hours, Johnny. They had a program set up to identify them before they slid too far into that world. So knowing too much can be dangerous. Seeing too much can be dangerous. There's all these dangers you have when you're dealing with the paranormal world. It can. If someone of a weak psyche, someone of a weak constitution, it could really mess with you. It could really, really mess with you. And then you have the public ridicule as well. Like, I openly identify myself as a paranormal researcher. And people, people laugh, right? <laughs> and then I'm floating down the hallway and I'm like, Dark One, take out my enemies, please. No, you know, I'm like, yeah, my whole thing is I don't care whether or not you believe it. I do it. I think it's fun. I believe it. Not all of it, right? I investigated stuff and it turned out not to be real, but, you know, whatever. But if you have a weak sense of self and people are making fun of you, people making fun of you online, posting stuff about you and stuff like that, that can really hurt you. That can really, really hurt you. And that can devastate you as well, destroys your sense of self. So that's something you have to be aware of. This is something completely different, right? This is a ghost. This is a, like a just a normal ghost that makes you kill people. This isn't forbidden knowledge. This isn't something you weren't meant to see. This isn't a cursed set of words or a cursed coin that drives you insane and Monday's episode or any of that stuff. This is a ghost that makes you murder people. And you don't have to go looking for this. This isn't happening in some abandoned mausoleum in Spain that no one's been to for the past 400 years. This is in a national park. This is in an area where people go. And you could be camping, you could be backpacking, you could be... I, I don't know if there's actually cities where these places used to be, where there are now... I, don't, I doubt there's many cities in the National Park, but I don't know how populated the area is because we started going to like Alpine, Texas and things like that. You don't have to hunt this ghost. It hunts you. And that brings it to a whole new level of terrifying. It's basically this ghost has a curse 
And whether or not you go out seeking the curse, the lore is full of cursed treasures, right? Especially in the Southwest, some conquistadors buried an empire's worth of gold. And now if you go seeking that gold, you die. There's a lot of legends like that in the Southwest. We'll be covering one or two this season. We've covered them before as well. This one you could be this one you could just be sleeping in your tent with your family. This isn't in the brochure when you go out to Big Ben National Park. When you go there, like, beware of murderer 1891. You may slaughter your family. They don't tell anyone this. This is a local legend. They may say it's not even true. The bull existed, but these 200 murders, we weren't able to find any news articles showing 200 people died. So the park rangers don't mention it to you. And you're sitting there in your tent, and you're like, good night, honey, good night, kids. And you all fall asleep. And that night you hear, <sighs> <sighs> it's not your wife snoring. She doesn't have COPD. You, it sounds like there's a bull walking around outside, right outside your tent. You're terrified. So zzz, you slightly unzip the little fold in your tent and you look out and you, sure enough, you see about 30 feet away, there's a bull standing there in the pitch black darkness of this forest. And you're staring at it. And you're hoping it doesn't notice you. And it doesn't. It's just kind of standing there eating some shrubs. And then it walks off. And you go, what? I never saw a bull in the forest. Also, <laughs> I better change my pants because that was terrifying. But as you're laying there in your tent, trying to figure out if you should wake up your wife and be like, hey, honey, there's a bull outside. Other thoughts begin to cross your mind. You look at your wife. Dark thoughts begin to cross your mind. You look at your children. Evil thoughts begin to cross your mind. And by the time the park rangers discover your tent three days later, ripped to shreds, coated with clumps of dried blood, matted hair, and bone fragments, you are long gone, walking naked through the wilderness of Big Bend National Park, holding a crowbar, eyes wide and wild, looking for another victim, hoping for an entire campsite of innocent souls to smash into pieces. You thought you were just going on a nice camping trip with your family. Instead, you became... The latest victim of a ghastly bull known as Murderer 1891. You will kill until you are killed. That is the curse. That is your fate. DeadRabbitRadio at gmail.com is going to be your email address. You can also hit us up at facebook.com slash DeadRabbitRadio. TikTok is at Dead Rabbit Radio. Dead Rabbit Radio is the daily paranormal conspiracy and true crime podcast. You don't have to listen to it every day. I'm glad you listened to it today. Have a great one, guys. <laughs>